What's going on, everybody? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, joined live from an undisclosed location here in Denver, Colorado, on a beautiful April 20th, 2020. As always, I am joined from an undisclosed location in Dallas, the executive producer of the show and the publisher and oil of Oil and Gas 360, www.oilandgas360.com, if you want to go check it out. Stu Turley, Stuart, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, the news desk is going crazy already on Monday with oil the way it is. Oh, no kidding. And it's partly why I'm excited to, to, to record this on Monday morning versus we usually hang, uh, bang these out on Sunday night because there was some insane stuff going on with the forward curve wars. I think we'll get into We're going to start dubbing it the forward square. As always, we're going to check our week ahead in oil and gas. We'll check the levels, check the commitment of traders. Stuart has some interesting things come across the international news decks. We'll take a look at our picks for the week. And always, we will chat with Nick and Stephen. But before we get into this great show, I just need to do some clerical work. First, if you guys are not subscribe on itunes spotify youtube please stop what you're doing pause this show subscribe but pause resubscribe to the show subscribe leave us a nice five star review we really appreciate all the love we've been giving we've had too much fun doing these and we will continue to push these out as often as we can please uh, connect with us on linkedin michael tanner Stuart turley entercom oil and gas 360 that's where you can see all of the great new interviews that are dropping from the Energy 360 Network. We dropped a great one with Landox, Asset Energy Ventures, and David Forsberg. We also had a live event last week that was really talking about the intersection between energy and technology and how venture capitalists and oil field services CEOs both see that going forward. You can check all of those out on our YouTube page. We also have had one of our best interviews was with Enverness and Bernadette Johnson. It's, 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 had over, it's had huge. How many hits do we have on that video so far? Um, uh, we, we had like a thousand in the first four hours. An unbelievable amount. Basically what that was is Bernadette is the vice president of strategy analytics. She basically walked through her and, and, and what she thinks Enverness thoughts are on what the oil market's going to look like and, and the natural gas market. Honestly, the craziest thing that came out of that interview was $4 natural gas, um, due to some of these four shut-ins. And, and that's, you know, I, I, what, what I want to shift gears to which is, you know, some of these four shut-ins that we're going to start seeing due to the fact that the forward curve is honestly now the forward square. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with what a forward curve is, it's basically just a price graph where you have time on the x-axis, price on the y-axis, and you plot the, the, each of the different contract prices for crude oil. So, and as we know, generally in the future, some, uh, there, and, and, and really the forward curve looks can be two ways. One, it can be upsloping, which means we're in a contango market, or that means the future price of oil is more expensive than the current price of oil. Or to take delivery of barrel of oil today is, 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 is cheaper than then to physically go and see if we can get one in the future. When the forward curve is reversed and it's what we would call downsloping, that's what we would call backwardation. And it, it's funny that backwardation is actually normal. You would think that they would come up like normaldation, that they would call it. But backwardation is normally what the market um, is having. Your forward curve is generally downsloping. And that signifies that a barrel of oil today is just worth a little more than a barrel of oil tomorrow. And that just makes sense to people. It's, it's, it's a little more expensive to take delivery of a barrel of oil today due to all of the different spreads that each of the different products have to make on it. And to just financially lock yourself into some in the future, the future is what it is. So the forward curve can be both upsloping, downsloping, and, and, and those things. General, the reason why it's called a curve is because generally it's very, if you go to a forward curve, and I'd recommend going to bluegoldresearch.com backslash oil-forward-curves. They do probably the best job of just showing what the forward curves are, and you can get a very visual idea. Currently, if you go look at it right now, you're going to see an incredible upslope of the first, say, three to four months of the forward curve really, and to be honest with you, it looks like a square because of how fast the front month contract, which currently today, the last day before it settles is May, 2020 or CLK 220. If you're trading, that's the contract. And then the June, 2020 contract, which is um, CLM 2020, which actually starts officially trading tomorrow. What's interesting though, is the reason why you know, people care about the forward curve is they care about the spreads. What's the difference between physically taking a barrel of oil this month and taking a barrel and, and financially um, rolling it over and, and getting yourself a barrel of oil next? 
this has everything to do with storage. And if you're watching crude oil right now, you could see you're seeing two prices. And I'm not joking with you. This is partly why I'm glad we're doing this right now. The current front month contract, the, 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 the crude contract that settles today. So if you know this, futures contracts, every month you have to switch over to a new one. And they settle physically at physical settlement dates. For this month, it happens to be April 21st, which means if you are trading a crude futures contract, if you bought one last month, if you bought CLK 2020, you bought one contract, and you are holding that tomorrow, you're going to now physically be taking inventory of at least 1,000 barrels of oil, depending on how many contracts you have. So what most people do is they roll their contracts over to the next month. They say, okay, well, I don't actually want to take physical storage. I want to now start trading the June contract. And that's, that's what I did. Every month, you just know what your settlement date is. And when you're day trading, you make sure that you're in the, in the contract that has the most volume. And towards these settlement dates, we see volume shift from the current front month contract to what we would call the month ahead, or now what it will drastically become the current month. And traders watch for these differentials because there's a lot of different things you can worry about. And the reason why you're seeing two different oil prices right now, you're seeing one for the, for the current month, $11.87. That I'm not messing with you, Stu, $11.87. Have you ever seen that? I don't, I've never seen that number before. Oh, back in 1977. Yeah, I wasn't even a thought yet. I wasn't even, like, I wasn't even, a, like, they weren't even, my parents weren't even thinking about having me yet. And that's when we were seeing oil at $11. But then if you look at... CLM 2020, which is tomorrow when you look at the price of oil, but, but no, this is important. Tomorrow when you look at the price of oil, you're going to be seeing CLM 2020. You're not going to be seeing CLK 2020, or now we can just start describing K and M. You're, not, you're, you're going to be seeing $22.35. Now, obviously, who knows what crew does between them, but that's an $11 spread between the two different crude oil contracts. And what that tells me, one, that's insane. Two, this, this clarifies and justifies, improves everything that Stu had been talking about, about how storage is becoming a huge issue. The reason why this is happening is, is, is for, you know, really only one reason, coronavirus, demand drop, storage. We are seeing no storage available. And what's happening right now is if you have contracts and that are expired today and you have to take physical inventory of, these, of, of this oil, there's nowhere to put it. So oil is drastically dropping. I looked on my phone this morning. I wish I, I, I'll try to, I don't want to pull it up because that'll take too long. Western Canadian Select was trending on Twitter because it was trading negative trading negatively. That's not what refiners and marketers are buying it for because there's, that's a whole other can of worms we can get into is not, okay, we see what WTI is, but what is an actual marketing company buying this for? I mean, so it's, we can get into all, you know, that's a whole nother, like I said, we'll get into that, but negative trading on the spot market, unbelievable. And, and, and so when, when, when you look at these numbers, why this is important is, is, is A, storage, but B, don't get tricked by CNBC today um, when they tell you price of oil is 11 bucks. Yeah, I mean, it is, but tomorrow it'll be like 19 bucks. And, you know, no one has any idea what, um, you know, this storage issue looks, you know, I mean, you're just, they're just looking at ticker symbols right now. So that's, you know, kind of the third thing is just watch out when you do see this, you'll see it roll over. But this is something that's, this is unprecedented. I know you've heard that too many times from this podcast and we're starting to sound like a broken record, but it just is. So we're just, we just, we tell you the truth here. This is unprecedented times, an $11 spread between the front month and the current month and the front month rolls over tomorrow. Like I think it's noon today. I think it's noon or 11 mountain time is when you have to be out or rolled over. Now, if you're day trading, most brokerages already are rolling you over. So you're not going to necessarily get stuck with this if you're just day trading. But if you're a large, you know, physical oil company, oh, you're taking, and you forget to roll over. Oh, you're taking inventory, baby. You're, you fire up them, the milk gallons and start dumping because you're going to about a thousand barrels on your front porch. You come, come very soon. But, uh, and so, you know, before we move into, you know, really the week ahead and what me and Stu think, think are happening, I just, I just want everyone to, to, to understand that when you're looking at the, the forward curve, the key is which way is it sloped? And the key is the differential between the first, the current month and the front month. And that differential has everything to do right now with the amount of storage that is available. 
And while the futures price is just what traders think is going to happen, um, it really is, 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 a, is, is a storage issue. You know, something else that I think plays a factor into this is now, you know, the settlement date for, for the M contract for, for the June contract is like May 23rd. The, there's a lot of rumors that the economy will be open by then. And because, you know, as futures are a, you know, commodity that trades off news. If the news does drop that the economy will reopen by the end of May or by middle May or by May 1st, you will see that price rise because that's, this is, this is a lot of the reason why we're seeing, as, as you know, we're seeing this huge, huge, huge demand drop. So when you're looking at the forward curve, first off, you should be thinking of it as a forward square for the time being. Um, I really think we're going to see this every single month. You're going to see when, especially as this virus and the economy continues to shut down. If we're in the same place we are next month, it's going to be even worse. It's it's going to be a circle. We might even have the forward circle where it just starts bending back in on each other. It's, I don't know. If, I don't know how that physically works or if that's even mathematically possible. But we're going to get so cur. It's going to be unbelievable. Talking about putting a square uh, peg in a round hole. No kidding. No kidding. So. Um, that's well, I think we're going to go ahead and shift gears to the week ahead in oil. As always, this is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research. They provide all of the levels here for the podcast and they do it from their energy group solution, which is one of the top market intelligence solutions. I mean, right now, if you need to know what's going on in oil and gas, these guys know what's going on. Rumor has it, they're also dropping a free newsletter. So you guys can stay educated on a weekly basis. Just rumors, though. I'll keep you guys updated. If you do want to get a hold of any of these guys, you can reach them at sandstonecg.com. Give them a call at their phone number. Mention the podcast sent you because that's the only way we get credit. So if you, go, if you call them up and you don't mention the podcast, we don't get credit. It, you, you'll learn something, but you, we won't get credit. So we really uh, appreciate their support. And speaking of the stores we're watching this week, you know, we meant, I, I, I mentioned in, in, in that whole first segment about April 21st in the contract rollover, that's tomorrow. Well, something very other interesting happens tomorrow, not just a very, very spicy, volatile day that, 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 that comes today with oil and gas. It's Texas Railroad Commission actually votes on prorations. We know last week uh, on, on Thursday, we covered what really an overview of what happened at that, at, at that Texas Railroad Commission conference. Uh, if you missed it, it was just basically a bunch of, 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 of oil titans stumbling through Zoom, trying to either explain to you why they should shut in production or not shut in production. And really what it came, what it, what it came down to was operators were about 50-50. Um, most of the research and pretty much people outside of the oil and gas industry were about 70-30 against four. So it's very interesting. Oil companies who you would think would, 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 would be a, maybe a little more in favor of production. There's, you know, there's about 50% of, of companies that they – um, research when you have to do polling for everybody who shows up. It was about 50-50 split, which was uh, pretty interesting. And, you know, we don't need to spend too much time going over what they talked about. I think everyone has a pretty good handle on it. All we know is they vote tomorrow. And if, 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 if you had to make me guess, I think it's two to one against. I think Ryan Sitton will be the lone four vote, mostly because he was the one that brought this up. And I don't think, you know, he, he you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this guy is about to be a uh, private sector employee. So, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything, but who knows, who knows? Um, Stu, what do you think your vote is? Um, I hate to agree with you, but I think you're spot on. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it would be unprecedented. I think, you know, I, I, I can't even tell you, you know, what's happening in oil right now due to the contango and storage issue is unprecedented. If Texas tomorrow also decides to cut production, well, first we'll have an emergency podcast after I wake up from the shock. After they revive me, you know, they come get me with it. The, they got to warm up the clickers. Um, we will get Clear. a lot. Yeah, pull again. Get hit them again. But once, once we get that worked out and, and, we, and we get me back around, I, we will get a podcast cut and to go over really what, what the fallout would be. And, and I'm not even sure what the I, – I don't even know what the fallout would be right now. I, I, I assume you would have some, some states – come out and do the same. I don't know. What would North Dakota do? What would places like Colorado? I don't know. It, I don't even want to think through the permutations because really we've got some great stuff that came across the international news deck this, desk this morning. Oh, you bet. Hey, Michael, uh, crazy news. Uh, a couple things. Um, you know, India has been importing uh, oil crude from Iran. Uh, here's one way to stop it. 
they had a force majeure uh, that mm. all their refineries are stuffed because of the really? shutdown in India. <sighs> one, one way to stop, how, how do you stop uh, or enforce uh, sanctions? Cut the refineries. Shut in refine In India, no less, one of the largest users of, they were, they were two years ago, India was what what, ev what every company was trying to get their crew to do. That was every we were trying to market to India. They're the next booming economy. So now that I hear India shutting them refineries, we're in trouble. Oh, hey, one more uh, for all the uh, green uh, folks out there. China this morning uh, is now going to be using coal uh, because they can't even afford the cash flow to get cheap oil. So try this one on. The CO2, let's predict, you heard it here first, CO2 in China is going to go through the roof because of cash flow. Try that on. Oh, oh no. And then that's, I would love to, I think that's something we're going to have to spend some time on in the next episode because I have been thinking about this for, for a, a week or so now that the coal and the dirty energy use is about to skyrocket because it's cheap. It's all about the green. So no, and we have some really interesting interviews coming up this week that I don't want to spoil, but I think we have to get that on an outline list. I think there's, we're going to have some experts hopefully talk about, I think we have two experts we can chat about for this. So it'll be a, a very interesting week. Um, when we look at the levels for the week, to be honest with you, I'm not giving you levels because I have no idea. Um, the levels would literally be 28 to 15. I mean, I'm serious. Like I don't, but it, you know, if, if you're, if you want large levels for the week, what I recommend is, you know, in the, in the notes, I will give away my charts. Go look at the volume levels. That's about all I can give you right now. I mean, there's about seven of them that range from 26 all the way to 15. Really what, 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 what we're looking at now is what happens with this settlement. I mean, right now traders have all switched over to trading the June contract. It actually happened on Thursday. So Everyone, so it was, it was just kind of funny. I was watching CNBC Thursday and it creeped me out a little bit. Or excuse me, Friday, I started trading the June contract. I'm watching CNBC on Friday and I'm like, why do they got oil? Like, I'm, I'm like, what's my data feed doing? Because I, you know, I, I don't necessarily plot the differentials. Well, I don't just have the, the differential between the front month. I'm just, you know, whichever contract's more liquid. And to get people an idea on Friday, you know, it was about 600,000 contracts that were being traded, um, uh, you know, per tick. Um, on the June contract, there was only like a hundred thousand for May. So I mean, large everyone had already moved over, but yet when you looked at a ticker, you saw eleven. And so that's partly why I wanted to spend that time um, um, <laughs> talking about in this in this first segment. But you know, level wise, I mean, we're twenty two thirty eight right now as as we record this live here at about six forty um, here Monday morning. I see this thing going down a little bit. If you had to give me my bias for the week on oil, I, I am short. I do think we're going to stay above 20, though, due to the fact that Trump has come out and is very persistent on reopening the economy. I know specifically uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has mentioned April or May 1st is when the economy, he wants to reopen the economy. Is there, do you have a time date that you, that you, that uh, you come out? Texas is opening today, I think. Governor oh. Abbott wants to open. I mean, and, and not to say that, you know, I'm not a medical expert, so I don't want to tell the medical, but I mean, the, I mean, if you just Google unemployment right now, it's unbelievable. I mean, we can't constantly and we can't shut down permanently. And, you know, at some point you have to continue to, um, you, you have to reopen and, and, and I'm glad it'll be a very interesting case study, but especially with Texas reopening, you're going to see, you're going to see people driving and hopefully we can see demand come back just a little bit in order to uh, sort of support these prices. I don't see necessarily below 20, but what do I know? Crude oil is trading in. Uh, futures contracts at 1166. Uh, spot, crude spot, 1182. So, I mean, there's a 20 cents difference between that spot and the crude. So, just un unbelievable. When we look at the, the, the commitment of traders, it sort of tells the same story. Producers um, who are in hedges cut their long positions by a lot, which makes sense. They also cut their short positions. Swap dealers added about 12,000 contracts um, to the long side, which is abnormal in, unless we're in extremely low oil prices, which we are now. So you'll probably see that number oscillate back and forth between positive and negative, just depending on how the week is. Just remember the commitment of traders is a Tuesday to Tuesday report. So this is covering April 7th through April 14th. So put yourself in that mindset when you're hearing these numbers, because that's, you know, we're looking at what happened in those weeks. Uh, managed money, hedge funds, they got long, as always, uh, 24,000 contracts on the long side. Um, hedge funds, you know, just so everybody realizes this, 
um, when they're listening to this. Hedge funds, if you look up hedge funds annualized return over like 10 years, it's not great. I think it's less than the S&P 500. Um, I think it's really, really less than the S&P 500. Um, here we go. A study by Yale and NYU Stern. Exactly. An economist suggested that during a six-year period, the average annual return for, for hedge funds was 13.6, whereas the average annual gain for the S&P 500 was 16.5. So that's how I was looking. You're losing 3% investing with hedge funds. So yes, we all, everyone talks about what's your favorite hedge fund doing. They're honestly not that smart. If you're investing all your money in S&P 500, I mean, that's, that's the numbers. I mean, it's just the numbers. It's on average, though. So some, so some years, hedge funds are better. Other years, hedge funds can be way worse. Um, there's a lot of hedge funds getting pounded right now. Except I did read an article on there's a certain type of hedge funds that do that, that hedge their equities positions basically the same way oil operators hedge their oil production. Oil, oil operators go out and buy crude oil options. Well, you can buy the same thing for ES. And a lot of these large hedge funds, they hedge. They actually hedge their own uh, positions with these options. They're called like tail risk funds. Oh, I read there was one in California. Newport Beach was up like is up like 600%. Has returned like over a billion dollars to stockholders in that company over the past six-week period due to the fact that their hedges are cashing in so much. That's how much their insurance is becoming worse. So every, you know, even hedge funds hedge. You know, that's, a, that's what we talk about, a dream within a dream, inception style. But, uh, but uh, so that's what we're looking for in oil this week. You know, like I said, my bias on oil is short, but I could also be very wrong if the news swips. Um, we're, I'm looking for Texas to see how things open up there. And if we could see some demand come back, it would just be needed for everybody. Um, but I think it's time now to move into the picks for the week. Do we have anything from Tomcat this week? Uh, yes, talk to Tomcat and uh, his bottom feeding strategy is making him money last week. Uh, all of his research is coming back with more bottom feeding. Well, stick with what's working. That's, I mean, in this, in this market, um, bottom feeding may not necessarily get you fat, fat returns, but you're going to win every time. And when you're looking um, at a winning percentage, he was what, four for four last week? Uh, yes. You'll take uh, that. I mean, you'll take, I'll take that to the bank. Uh, he is. So uh, I'm up on mine from last week, and it's partly because I've got it diversified between coal, uh, solar, as well as my regular stock. So I'm trying to spread out the, the horseplay there. Well, no, and that's, and that's a really good, I think, you know, important point I want people to catch is diversification when you talk about putting together a portfolio. You never want to be too heavily leveraged. I mean, look at me last week. I was all in XOP. I was all in energy equities. And I got my shorts eaten, eaten on it. Lost, you know, lot, you know, lost a lot. The key, the, the, what Stu mentioned is diversification. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get, if you're gonna get into oil and gas, maybe hedging yourself with some, you know, solar companies, hedging yourself with some coal, hedging yourself with some renewables type company that can maybe balance out for times like this is extremely important. And and my pick for the week. You know, obviously I, you know, Stu held in his, you know, what were you actually the ticker symbols on you? You were in LNG, you were in Chenier. Uh, Those were the two. Uh, you bet. Um, let me get there. I'm on Tomcat's screen right now. Yeah, no worries. And, you know, and it is LNG, Geopark, uh, Geopark. and Enphase, which is E-N-P-H. Got a nice green screen sitting over there. And I love it. No, and, and, and Geopark, while it is one of those oil and gas, I, I you know, the key is what well, we talked about, good management. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the Geopark stuff. Um, and so, you know, me, I'm, I'm just short oil this week. I'm more of a futures guy. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be day trading short futures all day. I'll be sitting, we'll be sitting, uh, crew, we'll be sitting, excuse me, crude inventory days, Monday or uh, Wednesday is going to be great because we're going to be looking at some of this. I've been doing some domestic production research, seeing if I can get a little insight to see what we can do there. It'll be fun to get in on that. But besides that, I think I'm avoiding equities this week. I would probably get long S and P if I was, if I, if, if I dabble in the equities market, I don't know what the XOP is. You know, if you had to give me my bias, it'll probably, you know, we're at 42.36 right now. You know, it was up $4 over on Friday. Great, right after I exit. It's almost like, they, I, uh, wait, wait, just wait for Michael to exit his position, then we'll run. 
Sometimes it feels like it always happens. But I, I think you'll see a little bit more in XOP. I, 44 looks like a good level for me. Really, it just depends on what this news happens. If Trump comes out and the news continues to be this week that he's f- pushing for the economy to reopen and we see some of the, the, the COVID-19 numbers come back down, I think we're going to see just oil naturally rise. And I mean, really, when you look at the oversupply right now, $30 is the level we're looking at. So, I mean, that's what, if you, if we can get some of this economy reopened, I could, I could see crude oil running all the way up to that. But then again, now we're just guessing. So uh, we don't, we don't need to go that far. So is there anything else we need to chat about before we give uh, Stephen and Nick a call? Um, uh, I'm, my head's exploded as we say in Texas. So. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, for reference, oil's now 1150. I mean, I, I wonder if it gets single digits. Should we just hang on? I wonder if by the time we have this call with Stephen and Nick, we'll have to check in, see what the price of oil is to make sure uh, okay. it doesn't go you Remember single Johnny digits. Carson? I know you're uh, the amazing Kreskin. Uh, 897. <laughs> That's awesome, Stu. But I really think it's time to give Stephen a call. We've, I told him to, to, to be ready a couple minutes ago. As always, Stephen Barrow is the owner and operator of Patronus Energy, the best midstream consulting company. If you need or doing anything in the midstream business and need help, please give Stephen a call. He's going to help you out. And Stephen, I appreciate you joining the show. You know, really, what I want to get is: is are we building new storage? And if so, where? Oh yeah, it, it, I mean it's a hot topic, right? Because um like storage is filling up so uh the eia they're releasing you know new metrics every single week now um i think last i saw it was just somewhere around 55 million barrels uh no sorry it's like 60 million barrels and um like what that means is the rate at which we're filling up the storage uh it means like we're gonna run out of storage probably by mid-may at this rate I mean, that's alarming. Like, yeah, that's a little scary. Yeah. And from a mystery perspective, I, I get this question from different places. People are like, well, what does that mean? Like once we hit, you know, top of tank, uh, where else can we put it? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> Not the answer I was looking for, but I was, I, I mean, I was scared that was the answer, but I was really hoping it was something else. <laughs> No, I mean, like people uh, are, are already being really creative, like storing offshore, um, you know, storing it in on their lease locations, storing yeah. tanks, wherever they can, you know, find some storage or whatever. But um, it's just like if you produce it, it's got to go somewhere. And everywhere that we were hoping to send it is already full or filling up fast. So um, basically the option is you're going to have to shut in wells. And so that's going to have a big impact. Well, the imp and and you know you that's a really good point because the impact of shutting in wells doesn't just affect the oil market; it affects the natural gas market as well. And you know, you mentioned something in, 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 when we were just chatting before, you know, yesterday when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And you mentioned that that you're really worried about the natural gas prices. Can you kind of expand upon that a little bit? Because I think this is something that people I think are you know, this is a concept I don't know people are used to is gas prices have been so low for so long. We just expect it to be low. And, 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 and I'm hearing now that gas prices are about to shoot up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for a long time, people have just, you know, come to view gas as like the cheap stuff. Um, values really low. And for a long time, that's been true uh, because of the shale revolution, all the shale gas is on the market, but um, you know, like different sources, Inverness is one of them, but uh, like, there's different forecasting that by the end of the summer, you're looking at, you know, four, you know, four dollars, four fifty, um, possibly higher, right, for gas. And so crazy. that's that's crazy, right? Uh, and some of that's because like gas, like gas doesn't store nicely. Um, we have gas storage mm-hmm. around the United States, but it's nowhere near. And is and I don't want to cut in, but I it's a question I have: Is that because you have to keep natural gas more pressurized? Is that why they're just the storage, or what's the difference between storing crude oil and natural gas? Uh, well, I mean, it's well for one, it's a gas. Like for for every BTU value, uh, you're talking about like the volume difference. Like a, I don't know, it's a gas for one. It's just like mm-hmm. it flow around and wants to be free. <laughs> so I guess yeah, pressure is one thing. Um, in, in some areas you can liquefy the natural gas that's what lng is but um you know those facilities are are really set up they don't have a ton of lng storage right like you you really 
uh, go through liquefaction and then you try to export it. And so um, the gas storage that we have is mostly in underground caverns. Uh, like you just can't store it in a tank. Like you can't crude. It. Yeah. Okay. So that's really the main difference. It's 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 not physical infrastructure more so because of just the way. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it wants to be gas and wants to move. That's about it. Uh, it does. It doesn't sit nicely. And so it, I know a lot of people right now are looking at inventories on the crude side. There's also a lot of um, you know data being published on like natural gas stores, and you can see that. Uh, but like nationwide, we have about, was it just over 4 billion cubic feet of storage? Uh, and we're sitting about, you know, 50% uh, on our storage. And that's, that's higher than we typically are this time of year. Right? So like normally inventories build throughout the year. And then during the, mm-hmm. the winter months, you draw down storage and it's like that cyclical cycle. Well, now. And why is that? Because I was going to mention that if you didn't bring it up, but I think it's valuable for listeners. Why do, is there a cyclical cycle with that? Like wintertime, we burn more gas to keep our houses, you know, warm. That's pretty much it. Um, or we burn more at the power plant so we can, you know, power our heating system. Mm. Yeah, no. And, 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 and I think it's no that, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. We just, um, there's an ebb and flow to when we use natural gas and we don't, but no, I think a lot of people, you know, I don't think it's necessarily as, as a common known thing as uh, at least maybe someone like me and you who work in the industry. I don't think a lot of people realize that when they just look at it. So I just thought it was, I'll let you go on. I just thought it was valuable to say, um, establish why it actually does that. Yeah, exactly. So um, really why this is impactful, why this makes me nervous is because uh, like, because gas doesn't like store super well, um, and it wants to move like we have basically it's similar to electricity. We have an infrastructure that wants to be balanced and it really has to be balanced. And so um, whenever there's like forecast disruptions that could really Im- impact the balance, like that's pretty concerning. And so whenever you're looking at the crude side um, and inventories are filling up and we're saying, well, mid mid May, we're going to be full. We'll have to start shutting in. Uh, like if you look at just one basin, the Permian alone, like they're, they're talking about 75% curtailment in production. Well, gas is produced at the same time as crude from the same well. And so you produce a barrel mm-hmm. and, and you store it and you say, well, we, we don't have, you know, we're not going to use this right now. We're just going to store it. And you produce the gas and you're like, well, I produce it. I have to use it or burn it. <laughs> uh, and if you shut in your well, uh, you're shutting your gas. So like right now, the United States consumes about 30 trillion cubic feet uh, of you know, natural gas, and we produce about 32. And so we export two typically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you curtail 75% of crude, and there's a similar reduction, uh, like it, this is just speaking Permian Basin, right? So like in the Permian alone, that would have about a 15 billion cubic feet per day uh, impact Ooh. gas production. So look at all the facilities that are there. Yeah. Projects and the gas processing facilities that are constructed to like process that. Mm -hmm. Even if they've hedged like the actual revenues, like from a management and company standpoint, if they're maybe with these minimum volume commitments and whatnot that we've talked about, maybe the company as an entity is fine. But if you're removing that from the overall market, uh, like that's, that's gas that you're going to need to, balance from somewhere else in order to burn it in a, in a local power plant. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, and that's going to bring up an insanely crazy issue when, you know, if, if, you know, we don't see demand to come back. And I think that's partly why, you know, we're not politicians, but Trump has been rolling out, Hey, I want to reopen the economy because I think, I think he understands this issue or at least, you know, you know, is getting, is getting advice on this issue that, we could see some insane stuff that happens in the energy market, which could have some severe consequences on the overall economy. So I think you bring up a good point. I want to shift gears to just, you know, your thoughts on, you know, what's, what, what you keeping an eye out on the midstream business for coming up next week. Is there anything that we need to be watching for? You know, you are the show's eyes and ears in the midstream side. Yeah. I mean, I, I so storage is going to continue to be a hot topic. So this week, right. There's, there's a, you know, there's going to be contracts and we talked about this earlier, just like there's a special date uh, this week about how where future contracts are going to be uh, coming due. And um, that's going to have an impact on the midstream world, just like it has an impact on the upstream world. Like storage is going to be 
um, what you want to you know continue to keep your eyes on. Look at the inventories. Uh, Wednesdays when the EIA is going to release their new your data and new numbers. But um, if there's anyone who has storage, any players in that space, that uh, they're typically in a good spot right now. That's awesome, and it's really incredible how much I learned from from these segments, Steven. So again, I really appreciate you joining the show, but we have to get over to Nick now. He's waiting on the line. And as we know, Nick Barry is our resident energy finance expert from both an upstream and a midstream side. He sort of keeps us up to date with a lot of the bankruptcies, M&As, and any of that cool stuff that happens. And, and Nick, before we get into that stuff, I really just need to ask you, give me your thoughts on the proration meeting that happened on Tuesday, and if you're for or against proration. Yeah, absolutely. The um, thanks for having me as always. The uh, the ten hour marathon meeting with the railroad commission this last week, um, riveting, riveting, riveting to say the least. But you know, it's pretty interesting. You you know, I think if Texas, if they were their own country, which I think a lot of Texans would might don't be give them the that. idea. Don't give them the idea. <laughs> um, They'd be the third largest producing um, nation of crude. So it brings up an interesting point. And when we mentioned like, you know, you got obviously the OPEC production cut. Um, Does it make sense for Texas to have a forced production cut? Um, My takeaway here is, I mean, you got to just think about the nature of this issue. It's an incredibly challenging, situation to, to to come up with some sort of agreement you've got so many different parties you know large majors small independents um which companies are going to be forced to cut for how how much will the cuts be for and for how long um you know you have to make a lot of assumptions on the demand of the coronavirus and other market demand impacts in order to draft some agreement um and then you got to think companies also with production in other states. I mean, are they going to take any production cuts or, or not? I think there's just so many unanswered questions. My take is that I think you just kind of let the market naturally, um, naturally correct itself. And, and, you know, guys will shut in production as we'll talk about the, those super low prices we have, but um, it's not going to be economic and, and people will be shutting in. And I think it's inevitable at this point, but I don't know if um, forcing the issue, it might, it might seem like an insurmountable task at this point. It just comes across to me as the law of unintended consequences. Like at some point you have to let the free market reign. And I mean, for the past three weeks, we've seen domestic production drop, you know, two weeks ago, it was 600,000 barrels. Last week was only a hundred thousand barrels. So I'm with you. I think letting the free market decide this, is, is the best way to go. I, I do want to point out, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I just love seeing these oil CEOs stumble around with Zoom. If there's anything <laughs> that is more of an equalizer than technology, I don't know what it is. It just, it just kills me. <laughs> uh, Zoom is the, way, the easiest way to make um, in, incredibly smart and, and talented and, and high-paid people look um, very foolish. <laughs> I was I, I was also that's... sad the Texas Railroad Commission didn't call us to moderate after we did such a great uh, job with the OPEC Plus meeting. I was surprised that our that our inbox was empty. I thought I thought they what they probably took it as was that we were already on OPEC moderation status and that it would be a dramatic step down for us to come um, host a, a, a Texas Railroad Commission event. That was at least my takeaway, but. Maybe others thought different. Yeah, and along that note, you brought up, uh, you know, something that was interesting in that, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people just think if you're an oil and gas operator, how do you want production up? But you brought up the point of there, there, there's a different thinking between super majors and, and small to mid majors. And, and can you kind of give an overview of what sort of the different positions are among the operators to give the listeners an idea of maybe where some of these companies are coming from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so every, every, different size company um has a different um a different price point essentially at, at where their their economic and 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 their operating costs are very different and some of these large companies really take advantage of economies and scale and are very low cost producers when compared to that of the smaller independent or um different parties and so 
you got to look at these these guys that um, you know have a have a have a low production cost. I mean, they're able to sit back and and weather the storm of mm-hmm. this low price, and and they're not really as concerned. Um, and then people with you know a lot of diversified assets where they're not only reliant on their Texas oil and gas assets or even maybe even oil and gas assets in general. Um, it just, it's, it's hard to put a level playing field, you know, um, mm-hmm. in such a diversified industry. No, it really is. And, and, you know, along that point, so you saw companies like Pioneer and Parsley come out for, for proration. So the assumption yep. really is that these companies are more, are not quite as diversified as maybe some of the com- companies that have come out against it. Is that the thinking, you know, you know, if you're, you know, for example, our favorite mind CEO, Matt mm-hmm. Gallagher, you're, you're in charge of Parsley. What's the thinking? Why is someone like him, say, for proration and somebody, you know, at Marathon example, who was one of the uh, companies that came out against proration, why would they necessarily be against it? You know, is, is, is there a reason mm-hmm. one for the other? Yeah, no, and it's interesting. I mean, Matt, Matt Gallagher uh, was recently on and, and he said, you know, there's his view was there are six, six companies that can cover debt without new drilling. And, and he mentioned that Parsley was one of those companies. So obviously, um, his view on the proration was not, as, as he says, was not to help Parsley. Um, um, his view is that this is about the service sector and that if this forced production cut is not um, implied, that the service sector is going to get just incredibly, very largely impacted. And um, you're going to be looking at a lot of jobs being lost, a lot of companies coming under. and that and 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 the the where i kind of push back a little bit with that is that i i just i think that's going to happen regardless i think guys again are going to be shutting in production i mean people are going to cut back on drilling um i don't think that necessarily implies if a forced cut is done or not um but yeah it just it looks a lot differently um to a company like parsley when they're talking about right they're probably already going to shut in some production anyways and then you know big companies like marathon that are really taking advantage of they're they're all not taking advantage but view this as a way to that some of these smaller guys are going to be hurt even more they view it as an opportunity to kind of um look for buying opportunities and look for new opportunities that present themselves as these companies struggle yeah, and, and and I think if you know you you I think you 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 touch on some really interesting things there, and that is you know the service side of this, and, and if there's one area in which you could get me to agree with some sort of you know forced production cuts, and that's really all proration. It's, it's, it's a fancy way and another way of saying forced production cuts. It would mm-hmm. that would be the only way that, that that's the only line of thinking I can go along with is that maybe if you can somehow shut in production, you might be able to save some save some service new drops because it, it it is getting bad. I I know you know Halbert and Schlumberger, um, you know I I, I you know I, I'm sure we all know people in the service industry and especially in the upstream who have been laid off. So you know when you say fifty percent of an in, of of a service side is going to get laid off, it, it, it's it could be true and it's, it's horrible, but that's, you know, that's about the only way you're going to get me to agree with, with, with a guy like Matt Gallagher. And to be honest, I don't, is, you know, I get, he I, thinks his company's in great position. I don't know if he's checked out his hedging positions. No, I'm just, <laughs> and we, we kid as always, but, oh, but, man. but, but it's just the service side. So, so, so that's my point is if, if I'm going to go along with that line of thinking, it's only, I think along that service intro, because there is some validity there as if you can shut in enough production, you might be able to sustain some sort of level where the service companies need to be involved yeah yeah i i agree in theory um it's just hard for me to think that it's going to be you know i think they're just going to be really struggling regardless um you know as far as if i think production like we mentioned will will be shut in regardless of it's either forced or we're already Natural. seeing it. We're already seeing it. The market's already right. correcting itself. Now I think it's going a little slower, but you're totally right. The market is already correcting itself. Yeah. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Again, I think the service sector is obviously in a pretty rough spot as I think guys pursuing 
looking to dr drill new wells if you're an ENP company is probably the least of your concerns right now. All right, so I want to, you know, shift to this. You know, I spent the majority of my podcast um, talking about the forward curve, or as I'm dubbing it, the forward square, and really the interesting contango situation. Oh, boy. We're going to find ourselves in on Tuesday. But really, I think what a lot of people, you know, fail to look at is the actual crude prices that operators are selling to refining and marketing companies. And, you know, from your mm -hmm. side, from, a, from, a, from, from an engineering and an upstream side, you know, Talk about the difference between what what a lot of people see as the, you know the WTI crude futures price of oil and actually what physically the price that gets traded between an upstream and some sort of midstream slash refiner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the the posted commodity price that is typically seen, you know, you talk about WTI pricing is is a very established benchmark or certain benchmarks out there. Um, one thing that is plays into much more the wellhead economics from at an oil and gas well is you have to take in multiple different factors, but um, your basis differential and essentially that can be composed of where where the production is, um, the quality of the crude you're producing. Um, then you got to think about your actual contracts you have with pipeline, midstream companies, downstream companies. So all these factors lead to a price that's actually, if you're an upstream producer, a price that you're selling at the wellhead that's a lot different typically than the posted um, WTI crude price. And, 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 what's and, really and I think just, just before, I don't want me to cut you off, but you, you talk about, I love how you, you put it so nicely. You, it leads to a difference in, in the wellhead price than what's posted. Just a little bit of a difference. To give people an example, if you're selling Oklahoma Sour, you're selling it for four bucks a barrel. So it's not just a difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and that's, you, that's a great point. And we've seen that this, is, this price is, is negative in some areas and will go even you know more negative or, or like west west texas sour is probably the next one up um so that's again a completely different issue if you're a producer and it's like oh man i mean think about the difference you're like i oh, you know wti might be around 20 bucks and you're sitting there and you're you know selling negative crude um it's not pretty yeah i mean look we got some upper texas gulf coast coming at a hot two dollars and fifty-two cents. That's this is a this is an enterprise onshore crude oil. This is their posted oil crude oil price bulletin for April seventeenth, twenty twenty. Which we're recording this on a Sunday. Unbelievable, <laughs> dude! Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's crazy times, unprecedented times, and it draws back to that. You think whether the production cuts forced or not you're just going to see it happen because people don't really want to sell it crude for a for a loss so which is uh we're kind of where we're at no and with the and especially with the, the 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 u.s oil fund rolling over and now rolling all their stuff in the june it's this it's going to be a crazy tuesday we're going to get you prepped for it and hopefully you've done that well enough on the podcast you know, before we let you go, Nick, yeah. you know, is there anything in the energy finance game, you know, before we dismiss class here, anything you want to teach us? I think the, the one interesting thing to kind of continue looking at and, and how this maybe the positive light that we've seen from these incredibly low oil prices and oversupply is um, you kind of have the natural gas picture back into play. Um, before this all shook out, you had you know, natural gas under two bucks in MCF. Obviously, the demand um, has hurt natural gas um, from the virus and, you know, has, has also been hurt in, in the commodity price game. But one thing you have to consider is that the Permian um, is the second largest domestic natural gas producer, and that's from associated natural gas. Guys are not drilling for natural gas. They're drilling for oil, but each well makes so much natural gas that it's just flooding the natural gas market as far as supply goes. Um, as that as people stop drilling and in, in the Permian and they're shutting in production, you're going to see that the demand or the supply is going to decrease in the natural gas markets. And 
And hopefully if we can see some demand that's not hurt as much from the virus, I think, I think that story of um, some of the natural gas plays is, is coming back into light. So I think that's the thing that you want to keep an eye on um, in the short term. Yeah, and that's something that, that, that Stephen touched on as well is the fact that, you know, the storing natural gas is much different than storing crude oil. And so finding mm-hmm, yourselves mm-hmm. in these in odd scenarios in which shutting in oil and gas, shutting in oil wells leads to a scenario which is a short of a natural gas. I think Stephen mentioned, you know, he mentioned that with it, we're losing, you know, the amount of uh, natural gas that we have stored right now is nowhere near the levels we normally have, which is a bad thing. It could lead to you know, we were talking about four, 450 natural gas. If anyone listens to this podcast mm. and is surprised when natural gas goes crazy, that's your own fault. We were, we, we, <laughs> we, we are, we will die on the high natural gas price hill. And if come July, it's nowhere near four bucks. You can blame me. I'll take the front. I'm staking my claim <laughs> on this one. Going on record. And no, I think, like I said, I think we'll, we'll definitely start to see some favorable natural gas. Um, 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 economics here. You heard it here first, natural gas. You didn't hear it here first. You actually heard it first through <laughs> yeah. Inverness in an interview I did, but uh, we, we just like to take credit on the podcast. Well, Nick, we really appreciate all of your expertise. You coming in and teaching us some things. We'll be sure to catch you next week. How can people find you? Yeah, it's, um, you know, send us, send, send me an email, nickjberry24 at gmail, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Love to hear from you. Any any feedback on the show or the, the my, this section, please let me know. We'd love to get in touch. No, and I will make sure to get any questions that come my way that, that, that pertain to you, Nick, to you. And really, again, we, we, we appreciate for everybody who's a part of the show, um, you coming in and educating all of us. Um, I know I learned something um, every time from your segments. But as I'm looking at the time here, we are over the 50-minute mark. So I'm going to go ahead and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell for the week ahead in oil, Episode 9. We will see you guys this afternoon for the Digital Ticker.